Chapter 7 Good and Becoming Good Becoming Our New Nature Spiritual growth is a process of replacing temporal appearances with eternal reality and living out of it. Dan Stone and Greg Smith from their book The Rest of the Gospel Be what you are. This is the first step toward becoming better than you are. J.C. Hare and A.W. Hare What you already have. The scriptures talk about certain people as if they really are genuinely good, now in this life, not simply in heaven. For example, this is how Paul describes a fellowship of believers in Rome when he says, I myself am convinced, brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness. Full of goodness, like the aroma of freshly baked bread being brought out of the oven, or the fragrance of fir tree needles when you rub them between your fingers. Full of goodness, awash with enticing purity and wholesome vitality. When Jesus talks about goodness, he states the obvious in order to make things more obvious. As Luke says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Here Jesus is stating a natural progression anyone could observe. The quality of fruit that grows on a tree is a direct result of the health or state of the tree. You can't get figs from thorn bushes or grapes from sickly briars. Those trees won't give you wholesome fruit. Just like the tree that bears fruit to its kind, he says, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. From Luke 6. The interior of the tree and its roots decide whether it will produce good or bad fruit. A diseased tree cannot give you the fruit you're hoping for. A good tree, or good heart, will. Your heart, now good, can only bear good fruit. Though you still can choose the old self or the old heart and its bad fruit, but you don't have to. Why would Jesus or Paul refer to some people as good if calling someone good was not an appropriate label for any person at all, even followers of Jesus? Notice how hopeful this is. It is genuinely possible for a person to become a good tree, one substantially free of disease and everything that would destroy it and its fruit. As that person receives his new heart from Jesus and learns to live from it, that goodness spreads from his heart to his whole being. But doesn't Jesus say that, quote, no one is good except God alone? Precisely. Goodness belongs to God alone and those he gives us goodness to. In order for us to experience the vitality, community, and strength of heart God himself enjoys, he had to give us the very thing that makes all that possible, his own good heart. All the resources of his heart are now yours.
Other places in Scripture verify the Christians' newfound purity, establishing the Christ follower's goodness as a present reality. In Christ, we have become the good tree. We are already clean. As 1 Corinthians says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. And as Hebrews 10 says, By this new covenant, in other words, new way of relating to God, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And Acts 15 says, For he purified their hearts by faith. The clean heart of Jesus is now ours. We are already alive with supernatural life. As Romans 8 says, Yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Our spirit is no longer sick or disobedient, but alive. Romans 6 says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We're also already free from old influences. Romans 6 says, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. It also says, Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. From Romans 7. Notice here that Paul says it is his old nature, in other words, sin living in me, that causes him to sin. In effect, he's saying, sin isn't the real me. Paul is now controlled by a different and holy nature. He says, we are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. Paul seems to be stating this new reality as a fact. It's as if to say, you're no longer under the authority of those old influences, no matter what it feels like to you. And we're already transformed. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Now, I used to lose heart as I read that verse. Does I no longer live mean there is no longer anything distinct or unique about me? Do I lose my identity when I follow Jesus? Do I have to sacrifice my individuality as part of my religious duty? Then I began to read the verse in light of the new heart. Our old heart or old nature has been crucified and we no longer live to it. This means we get to become our true selves. Christ now lives in us, a declaration of aliveness. This isn't the annihilation of the true self. Rather, it is the birth of the new and good heart, the authentic self. We don't lose our identity through our crucifixion with Jesus. Rather, we gain our true and distinct identity. Rather than trying to become a new person, we're already new. As 2 Corinthians says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. When Paul says that the old self has gone, 
he means that it has been dethroned, knocked out of center. It has been cast to the margins of our life. In fact, our new hearts are alive with the very energy and impulses of Christ. They are one in the same. There is now a unity of identity and life between the lover and the beloved. As Martin Luther declared, You are so entirely joined unto Christ that he and you are made, as it were, one person, so that you may boldly say, I am one with Christ. That is to say, Christ's righteousness, victory, and life are mine. End quote. No, I'm not suggesting that we are gods, yet the level to which he has joined himself to us is staggering. We have not yet begun to grasp it. Why do Christians still sin? The true gospel doesn't ignore sin, it simply puts it into perspective. Sin is no longer in our nature as Christians. It is possible, but not in our nature. Christians now have a propensity towards goodness and freedom. It is no longer in our nature to sin. When we sin, we are in fact choosing something irrational, a path towards burden and bondage. We sin because we have not chosen what is most alive and free in us, in other words, our new hearts. In fact, Personal goodness is now something we crave because we remember that sin promises deliverance, but at best can only provide the illusion of freedom. Goodness, by contrast, makes us free because we are living in concert with our truest selves. We choose to be yoked to our most authentic identity, alive and good persons living in the freedom Jesus himself enjoyed. In fact, George MacDonald, who influenced C.S. Lewis more than any other writer, suggested that we sin when we give ourselves over to anything that is less than us. He says, A man is in bondage to whatever he cannot part with that is less than himself. Notice the gracious and noble view MacDonald holds of the redeemed person. We are of such worth to God that to give in to anything less than our own worth is sin. You don't fill new wineskins with poor wine, or healthy bodies with synthetic foods, or noble minds with depraved images. It's not what we're meant for, because those things are less than ourselves. When we choose our new natural state, we are joining the Spirit in His work to call forth our new purity. When we live in concert with Him, the old urges grow quieter, perhaps even non-existent. What about Paul's struggle with sin? There is a passage often used to justify a bad heart theology, even for the believer. Romans seven fifteen through 25 is often used by well-meaning Christians to suggest that even the believer's heart is prone to sin. This is what Paul says in his struggle. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. 
I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law. The above passage is an account of a good man exposing his own struggle with sin. Paul was still in process, just as we are. There are times any of us find ourselves, like Paul, capitulating to temptation. Yet even while struggling with sin, Paul says he still wanted to do what was right. An unredeemed and ruined heart would not be able to want what is right. But because God has given Paul a new urge for goodness, he goes on to say, For in my inner being I delight in God's law. Despite his current struggle with his old nature, what he most wants is goodness and holiness. He now desires what the Spirit himself desires. It's not the real me. Paul goes even further to expose his new goodness when he indicates that though he struggles with sin, it is no longer really him. Quote, As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. He separates his true self from his old self. It is his flesh, the old sinful nature, that produces the sin. He says, Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but is sin living in me that does it. Paul isn't making excuses for himself here. He simply says that the sinful nature, though present, is no longer who he really is. It is not his identity, his new heart, that causes him to sin, but rather sin's relentless battle against him that produces unrighteousness. While Paul's flesh, or old nature, wants to serve what is evil, in his mind, which God is also renewing, he wants to serve the commands of God. He says, So then, on the one hand, I find myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. From Romans 7.25 Note, for those of you who have dug deeper and read the end of the passage, you may have noticed Paul seemingly indicating his nature was still sinful when he says, So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. However, sinful nature can also be translated flesh. Of course, we still struggle with our old nature, or the flesh, yet it can no longer claim the place of dominion and power it once did. That place is rightfully occupied by our new heart, alive with the Spirit of God. What are you expecting? On the heels of his admission of personal struggle with sin, Paul lets us know why sin is not his or our first nature any longer. We are no longer ruled by a corrupt nature, but by God's goodness. 
because the Spirit of Christ is no longer outside of us, but within us. As he says in Romans 8, You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. He's stating a hopeful fact. No matter the struggle with sin, you are not controlled by a bad heart. It isn't you any longer. Yes, you may still choose sin, but you must not allow your struggles with sin to define your identity. It's not in your nature any longer to be that other person. You are now under a different influence, God's own spirit. Most Christians believe quite the opposite, that their only choice is to give in and that they should expect to sin. Hi, this is Jim Robbins, and you just listened to an audio sample from the audiobook version of my book, Recover Your Good Heart, Living Free from Religious Guilt and the Shame of Not Good Enough. If you want to find out how to get the audiobook or the printed version of the book, or if you want to hear more podcasts, you can go to my website at thegoodandnobleheart.com.